We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. kind of mythical powers does a Sun Devil have? we got to consider that. It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're 3-1 and one somehow. And we got all the voters fooled, thinking we're pretty good. Jaworski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability. Welcome to another edition of the Rotowire College Football Podcast, the Ryan Royals college football podcast we are presented by WinBets. check out winbet.com for all of your sports wagering needs WinBet is proud to be the presenting sponsor of all rotowire fantasy podcasts i am nick whalen joined as i am every week by rotowire's lead college football editor john mckechnie john ryan broyles 131 catches 1622 yards 14 touchdowns as a junior 45 career touchdowns in 48 games at oklahoma God, that is dominant. He he was such a boss so there. Good. Oklahoma for a while, they, they had those receivers that put the dominant numbers, but then not be particularly good in the pros. They, they seem to have shaken that that mantra, but Broyles, uh, Malcolm Kelly, yeah, Joaquin um, Iglesias, M- Mark Clayton to, yeah. to some extent. Is he a Raven? Uh, he, was. he was. I thought he was actually – he gets a bit of a bad rap uh, among Ravens fans, but, you know, he, he just didn't live up to that – total first round hype but it, he yeah. was still a solid contributor for sure yeah I, I always thought he was fine probably the best of that group that we just talked about but I feel like Broyles was one of those guys who he was a little smaller like you just kind of knew he wasn't going to be good in the NFL like he was the equivalent of like a great college like a smaller great college quarterback who you just knew would maybe be a six-round pick and would catch on and, and probably fade away like I don't remember having great NFL expectations for him but uh one of those guys that like unless you were really clued in on college football around that time I, I have not heard his name spoken in quite a while. Haven't heard that name in years. <laughs> not not hanging out in Norman, Oklahoma enough, I suppose. Uh, I understand before we get into uh, action from week two, look ahead to week three, uh, you have a concert to attend tonight? Yes, I, I do. Um, so, you know, in, in keeping with, the, with our early season theme here on, on the College Football Podcast, talking a little bit of concerts, um, I, there's this band I, I like called Dr. Dog, and I saw that they were coming to town on Tuesday, and I was looking at this over the weekend, and I was like, okay, sweet, Tuesday night going to a show. And then I saw this other group was coming to a different venue. 
uh, and it was going to be a cheaper ticket. There were there was more availability, so I was like, oh, I'll just do that instead. And I got my wires crossed, and I basically got dressed up and and went over to this concert uh, venue last night. Go up to the will call uh, window, and they're like, yeah, that's that's tomorrow. So I'm just like in this like weird part of Atlanta, is by myself, <laughs> like trying to go to this this show that's not for another 24 hours. So at least they, they had the um. Yeah, you know, they were nice enough to just print out my ticket. So I do have my ticket for tonight. That's, so that, that's exciting. But, um, you know, uh, it, future reference, uh, don't think – clearly my brain is incapable of handling the idea of two things going on on different dates. They, they must – they have to be happening on the same day in my mind apparently. So um, I got some some development to, to do uh, with, with my neurofunction uh, so I don't make that mistake again. But at least I know for tonight that the show is actually tonight. That's a tough break. That's a really tough yeah. break. Especially like, did you, did you like pregame and like, were you like ready to enter a concert at the time? I, you know, it was a Tuesday night, so it's not, it's not like, um, I was really like, ri uh, like rip roaring, ready to, ready to go or anything like that. So at, le at least like it, it, the silver lining was that my Wednesday morning was salvaged. I didn't end up really do doing much or, or going too crazy or anything. So I mean, that was that was the silver lining there. Uh, that would have been a real bummer. I, I, I you know, had a mea culpa to to a friend, told him what happened. He said that he had done that uh, for a Twin Peaks concert a few years ago, but like was nine beers in when he made the realization. So luckily, <laughs> I wasn't in that boat. Oh man, that's that's really tough. I, uh, you know, like you said, this all started with me going to my first concert a couple weeks ago. Summerfest is inexplicably still going on in Milwaukee, and I'm I'm told that normally it doesn't last this long. Uh, due to the COVID, they, they've made all the shows, I guess, on the weekends instead of the week. Uh, but apparently I'm going back to my second ever concert uh, on Friday to see Run the Jewels. I was informed of this when I arrived home uh, from Vegas on Monday night. Uh, not my choice. I, I do like Run the Jewels quite a bit. I wonder, you know, I, have you ever been to a rap concert? Like I, from what I've heard and from what I've seen on, on places like YouTube.com, uh, rap concerts often don't you know, don't really replicate the music in the same way that going to other genres might? Um, let's see. I, I did go to Bonnaroo many years ago. Um, R. Sure. Kelly played. And okay. uh, yeah, um, it, it, it was not quite the same uh, exactly energy or quality. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I don't know. We'll see. I, I will say I was I was impressed with how, you know, Green Day and, and Fall Out Boy and Weezer, like it, it sounded good. It sounded really good. I don't, I don't know what my expectation was going in, but I, I figured there'd be like more you know, quality lost when you're not in a recording studio, but that, it really wasn't the case. Um, yeah, I mean, the, yeah, those are like the three of the biggest bands in the world. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they, they definitely have that that element of, of the show production totally buttoned up. So that, that's a good yeah. like first concert to, to go to then. It's well done like that. Okay, last thing before we do some week two recap, Nick Saban being a confirmed D's nuts jokes guy is yes. really cool. I mean, I, I it's hard not to respect Nick Saban when you have the accomplishments that he has. Um, but obviously, you know, some people would bristle at the, you know, Belichickian gruff personality. But man, to hear like multiple accounts like this guy loves these nuts jokes like that's so huge for him. Yeah, no, he's all about it. Um, th this is something that um, I had been loosely aware of for, for some time that, that he's a big fan of the these nuts jokes. But um, to have the, the player during the press during the media availability on Tuesday uh, have Michael uh, Casa Grande, go ahead and ask, you know, what, what's your favorite Sabanism? And he's like, oh, you know, I, I don't really know, but he, <laughs> and then he just starts making the jokes and you're just like, 
this is unbelievable because it, it you know it's so counter to what you would just kind of expect of Alabama and you know that they, they have this larger than life persona of just being so buttoned up and, and business first and at the end of the day like the mastermind you pull back the curtain the Wizard of Oz and he's just making these nuts jokes I, I absolutely love it <laughs> well said I'm not gonna add anything else uh let's get into week two uh we got to start at the top the Wisconsin Badgers rolling over Eastern Michigan good uh, Graham Mertz looked better in this game still relatively unimpressive I mean he was I think he had only three incompletions but no completion uh, went for more than 18 yards. If you've ever watched Badger football in your life, that's not that surprising. Uh, but again, like we talked about last week, like these are the things that are supposed to change when you have a quarterback who can, you know, can really stretch the field. Uh, Badgers did have two long TD runs. Uh, you know, Ches Malusi clearly looks like the number one guy in the backfield. Uh, although we did see 15 carries out of Jalen Berger this week after he did not play in that Penn State game. So a little more familiar um, in terms of the style of the Wisconsin backfield where you don't just have that one main guy. Yeah. Um, and we got a little bit hoodwinked on, on that one, you know, like Berger expected to be ready to go in, in that week one, obviously, like you said, didn't play. And then uh, he wasn't like going through warmups with the running backs on Saturday. So it was like, OK. And he had dropped down the depth chart and Malusi right. had been like kind of named the, the clear cut number one is like, is something going on with Berger? And then all of a sudden, you know, he's out there and, and producing again. So that that's good to see. But it, it did kind of like throw me for a loop. Right. Uh, on Saturday, they uh, there was a story. I mean, right before the season, Wisconsin dropped two of their scholarship running backs. One of them basically got kicked off, and I don't I don't really know what happened to the other one, but it wasn't wasn't really like a severe situation. But I thought it was funny. I forget what what the source even was, but um, you know, they ended the article saying like it's very concerning. Wisconsin only has seven scholarship running backs on the roster right now. Like, <laughs> at any other school, that would be more than enough. At Wisconsin, it's like oh my god, we we got to get somebody in here. <laughs> boys we're going into the season so shorthanded <laughs> what if six running backs get hurt then what do we do yeah, um, but I, I don't really SOL. i don't have any real thoughts you know on this wisconsin game it's eastern michigan it's whatever it's basically uh you know what i would like to call one double a game uh to use an antiquated term but hmm. uh not a lot of takeaways there yeah that's fair um i i just kind of like kept it kept a loose eye on on that one uh, during the course of Saturday evening. It's cool that that was a, a night game in Madison. That's always like a, a fun atmosphere. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's good that just Wisconsin went ahead and, and took care of business. And the, the dogs also replied in kind. I, I've kind of got unnecessarily kind of hand-wringy go, going into that UAB game. I was like, oh, it's got to be Carson Beck. What are, what are they going to gain from, from starting Stetson Bennett? And then Stetson Bennett just like wins SEC Offensive Player of the Week and, like, completely lights UAB up, like, just perfect passes left and right, throwing touchdowns, throwing long touchdowns. And I was like, oh, well, I guess there is a reason why Georgia is the number two team in the country. Like, that's that's what you're supposed to look like even against, like, a pretty good group of five school like UAB. So that that was nice to see as well. Yeah, I mean, you, you got to be encouraged by that performance, obviously, uh, you know, without JT Daniels. Um, but again, but neither of these opponents, I, I think, you know, provide a whole lot, uh, you know, true takeaways, especially after the teams that, that these, you know, that Wisconsin and Georgia played uh, in the previous weeks. We should probably talk about Clay Helton. Huh? I mean, we, we could kind of jump around here. We'll, we'll obviously hit Oregon, Ohio State, um, you know, Alabama rolled over Western Carolina. I, I don't think Western Carolina is going to be very good this year. I, I haven't heard a lot of people say that. Um, and there's a few other big games to hit, but Clay Helton, Dunzo. At USC, this felt like a very long time coming. I don't think anyone 
at any point felt like this job was secure. Um, you know, he ended up coaching, I think, like twice as many games as I, I thought he would end up coaching at USC. But, you know, the loss to Stanford, the way it happened, um, you know, a game that they really got housed in from start to finish. Um, that was the final the final straw for Clay Helton. You know, if you have any parting thoughts or, or things you want to, you know, impart to Clay Helton on his way out, feel free. Otherwise, I think it's a lot more fun to talk about who might be taking over this job. Yeah, I love that there, there's already betting odds and, and you know, pr- pretty like serious ones as far as, as uh, who USC uh, would be likely to replace Helton with. And yeah, Helton never felt like a USC coach. You know, he always felt like it, he felt even in their in their like pretty decent years uh, in the last couple of years, especially like after Slovis took over as a freshman. Um, that that first year that we were doing the pod, we'd just be like kind of surprised and amazed that USC w- was doing what they were doing because the the previous iterations had been so underwhelming. Um, so yeah, it just didn't. And sorry, I'm 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 going all over the place because it's such like a, a weird weird couple of years at USC. Like uh, Helton, to I thought they would have they could have fired him with cause or. That, that's not the technical term uh, in, in this particular case, but like USC, you had to to look at their 2020 recruiting class on 24 seven sports. You had to like scroll into the third page. Like they were, they were Disgusting. literally ranked in the sixties in recruiting that, that year. That is completely inexcusable. You can can someone over that in my opinion, but comes back this year, gets a top 10 class. If I remember correctly, or at least top 15. So it's like, okay, this is good. Uh, you have a junior quarterback, a third-year starter in, in Slovis. Like that, I think that th- this should end up being okay. And then for them to just pull the – I mean, they ended up pulling the plug after two games, uh, a, a loss to Stanford, and you could hear it in the stands, everyone, everyone screaming fire Helton and, and other things. So it's like, okay, everyone's really fed up, but it's, it ends up being this big train wreck where you start the season with the guy and now you got 10 more games of an interim coach – I mean, bully for you for getting ahead of everyone on the, on the coaching search. But if you're if you're this close to firing him going into the year, you probably just should have done it back in the winter. Yeah, I mean, there were so many unknowns, I think, you know, certainly last season and even going into this season that I don't know if, you know, maybe USC wanted to enter the year with at least some stability and not throw a, you know, coaching search and a coaching firing, you know, on top of what was already a chaotic situation. So I get that, but... I mean, clearly he went into this year with an extremely short leash, right? I mean, USC, I thought, looked pretty good uh, in its first game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one loss, and granted, it wasn't a pretty loss, uh, but it's also not like you lost to to a 1AA team, right? I mean, it, it's it's a game that you expect to win, but this isn't the worst loss that they've suffered. So it was very clear that it felt like they were just waiting for one final catalyst to finally make this move. And, and who knows? I mean, maybe you're maybe you're waiting on someone to put up the money for the buyout. Maybe you wanted to wait for the buyout to get down to a certain level. Uh, then you feel comfortable paying it. But uh, yeah, just a, a weird, weird tenure overall that I, I don't really think will be looked upon all that fondly. Weirder coach to have coached a game at USC. Clay Helton or Edo? Edo, Coach O. Um, it's it's got to be Coach O j- just because the aesthetics there. Um, but but Helton is kind of counter to to the USC. He just doesn't seem like this glitz and glamour USC type of coach at all in his own right. And it's not like he was like a, a big name uh, before getting that job. But he, anyway, but I, I just think that 
a good Cajun man like, like Coach O be, being out in L.A. Is, is a very, very funny visual. I mean, we saw how that went for him the, the other week as well against the other L.A. school. It was funny, like, even at the time, you know, when he when he took over as the head coach, I feel like there was, like, it was almost like racism in some ways or, like, <laughs> culturism or people are like, is he the right guy for the job? And it was never really about, like, his football coaching. It was like, can this man survive living in California? <laughs> can the press out here understand him do yes. we need a cajun translator yeah it was like that was really what people were asking it's like i don't know if this man is capable of living anywhere but the state of louisiana yeah <laughs> it's true man yeah, there was some seriously uh coded stuff going on back then <laughs> yeah um so you mentioned the betting odds uh you have to look around a little bit you know a lot of your traditional outlets uh typically don't offer odds on things like this so i i don't even know where i'm pulling these from um, it's a, an article on heartlandcollegesports.com, but it has sure. some odds and whether they are in fact bettable or not, I would still like to discuss them. They seem realistic, uh, at the top 13 to two odds. These guys are, are I guess the, the two favorites, according to heartland college sports, we got Luke fickle and PJ Fleck. Oh, wow. The, the Fleck one, I, I'm not sure that I, that I buy, I, I think that Fleck would leave Minnesota for, for a job like this, of course. You'd have to, yeah. I think USC can do a lot better than PJ yes. Fleck. I, I, I think that would be a pretty – if they end up hiring PJ Fleck, it's because they, they were told no by like four or five other people. Like he can't be in your top three choices. So Fickle makes a lot of sense. You know, a lot of people reading the tea leaves, the, the connection with Cincinnati, Cincinnati's former AD, of course, now the AD – at Southern Cal. So, I mean, that, that, that connection is definitely there and, and fickle, you know, for his own right, it, you know, has great bona fides. I, I think he's one of the best, uh, most desirable coaches from the group of five and, and kind of one of those up and coming guys. Um, what he's done at Cincinnati. I mean, Cincinnati's always been like a pretty respectable program relative to their level, like during our lifetime. But, but now, I mean, that they're knocking on the door of, you know, maybe forcing their way into the playoff or, you know, at least uh, starting that dialogue for, for this year. So fickle would, would be great. I'm pretty sure James Franklin, uh, he always seems to have had, I don't know what the exact connection is that he has to Southern California. Um, but I feel like him, like he has been linked there and it has felt like for a couple of years that while he is a very good coach and, and Penn state's not, unhappy with him uh that that he was not going to be the permanent guy at Penn State either so it, it felt like that there's at least one more move in James Franklin's future and USC would, would seem to make um plenty of sense for that and I think Chris Peterson uh having been away for for a year saw some tweets yesterday indicating that you know he wants back in um he, he had always kind of been someone that people thought USC could poach from Washington to begin with. So it would be interesting to see, you know, West coast guy like that. I think it would make plenty of sense if he's, you know, feeling rejuvenated and ready to rock again. Chris Peterson's the one I love the most. I think, you know, they have met 10 to one here and there's, there's like, I don't know, 15 names on here that are under 20 to one. So it, it is kind of wide open. There's not a super obvious candidate out there for this job, but yeah, I mean, it felt like Chris Peterson lost like a little bit of his thunder just before he stepped away. But yeah, I mean, there, there was a time where he was kind of in the Lincoln Riley seat where it was like this guy could have any job he wants at pretty much any time other than Alabama and I I, don't, I think you know among coaching circles and AD circles I think he's probably still a huge name um like I, if I'm a USC fan like I would be really happy if Peterson's ultimately the hire oh ab absolutely yeah like you said you know that those the last year or two at Washington might not have been great 
Um, he seemed like he was just getting burned out, and that's kind of what he implied yeah. when, when he stepped down. So I think the year away might have been exactly what he needed and uh, that he would definitely be – I just think culturally he'd be a fit West Coast guy – knows the area has recruited the area having having you know coached at Washington you got to get down to LA and get get some of those kids so i think he he'd make all the sense in the world I, I would i would almost start my search there if i if i'm USC Clemson OC Tony Elliott also on the list uh California native uh, there, there's some connection there uh, if uh, if, if uh, you if you bring up Clemson, uh, or if you bring up Tony Elliott, Clemson people will will just tell you he's never leaving. Uh, same oh, really? with Brent okay. Venables. Well, never, yeah. never mind then. Forget I brought. Yeah, that the, the, no, they just get defensive anytime that you even like bring it up. <laughs> okay, never mind then. Uh, last thing we <laughs> want to do is is rile up the Clemson fan base. Right. Um, other interesting names on this list. Uh, you mentioned James Franklin. I think that one would make a lot of sense. Uh, Mario Cristobal, of course, Matt Campbell. Uh, Urban Meyer. I mean, that one has been like meme to death. That was meme to death already by the time I woke up this morning. I know. I, I tweeted like 10 minutes after the firing and it felt stale. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. That, that was like an all time record. Um, Joe Brady, you know, Lane Kiffin obviously would be a ton of fun. <laughs> Mike Gundy's on the list at 25 to one. It, who would be less of a USC guy between Mike Gundy and PJ Fleck? Like, I, I think Fleck is like as far away from like traditional, the guy you think of at the helm of USC as possible. I think. Gundy, he would just be like, I don't get how y'all do things here. Yeah, Whereas right. like Fleck would like be the guy that overcompensates to like the nth degree, like tries to like rebrand himself as the most Cali guy. Uh, you know, like uh, instead of rowing the boat, he'd it'd be like surfs up. Yeah, uh, sail, he, sail the ship. I don't know. Yeah, it, it would he would really, really lean into it and it would be extremely cringy, but at least he would uh like he would try to fit in where, whereas Gundy, like there'd be no effort on his part. Like that yeah. dude is still water as it gets. So like, that's just where it's going to have to be for him. Mike Gundy's the closest thing that we've ever got in real life to the coach of Blue Mountain State. <laughs> Marty, I yeah. recently rewatched that just because it's on Prime and I'd run out of other shows and it's like, oh man, this, I, you can't make this show now, but I love this show. Oh my God, that show was... <laughs> It was definitely not a good show for anybody who hasn't seen it. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't like super recommend it. But if you were a certain age at a certain time, like that, that show was like in its heyday during our like freshman and sophomore year of college. Like it was, yep. it was perfect back then. Oh yeah, Rev, Rev Theory. Give me a hell. Give me a yeah. <laughs> That's not on your workout playlist. Like what are you even doing, man? That that was on a Madden game too. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, if you, oh, yeah, that gets the blood pumping, baby. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, last thing I'll mention. I, I mean. Recruiting's got to be the main thing here, right? And and you brought it up, but if you look at you know just the quarterbacks alone from that 2020 class, uh, six of the top 11 quarterbacks in that class, dual threat uh, or pro style, were from the state of California, and USC whiffed on all six of those guys, including Bryce Young, DJU, and CJ Stroud. Yeah, brutal, just absolutely brutal. Um, you know that the the fence has been broken down, or like the just the. You know, USC having that gravitational pull for all of those uh, California quarterbacks. I mean, like JT Daniels was like a, a sure thing to, to USC, you know, basically since he was in grade school or something. Uh, and, you know, he ends up there. Uh, Bryce Young was supposed to go there. He was committed to go to, go to USC, actually. And then uh, obviously after USC had some down years, they ended up or he ends up flipping to Bama. So, so yeah, the, these blue blood programs, they can get guys from anywhere and and 
that even includes a state like California, where, you know, established programs like, like USC even can still be fighting an uphill battle to keep their guys home. Uh, I think Kayvon Thibodeau is, is from the, the Los Angeles area and obviously yep. plays on the defensive side of the ball, but um, you know, you're, you're losing some serious guys. I think Justin Flo might be from California as well. The other Oregon defender that was out on Saturday, but yeah, the, the, the fact that USC and, and California is just leaking uh, their, their talent and get, getting it poached by schools that are thousands of miles away and aren't very California-esque uh, culture, culture-wise, it's pretty jarring. It's pretty shocking, but it, it, it's a trend that I, if I'm a USC fan, that's like my priority number one as far as uh, what, what I'm looking for in a, in a coach is, is being able to, to really uh, revamp those recruiting efforts and make USC like the place to go on the West Coast again. Right. I mean, even in the 21 class, you had an unprecedented like three top 12 players from the state of Washington. And you know, Washington got one of them. Two of them went to Ohio State. But like USC, I mean, that's 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 in your territory, too. I mean, it's not just California. I mean, you should try to I mean, Oregon's going to be right there. But I mean, you have to be ruling really the entire West Coast. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, you got to be getting the kids from Arizona. Um, there's so many Idaho. places to, to get. Uh, yeah. <laughs> course he had all those eight-man football uh Leighton Van Der Esch guys um you know and, and Bishop Gorman in Vegas is just a couple hours away as well so I mean yeah there, there's no excuse like all the all the ingredients are there I, I think you know if you wanted to have the what's the best program in college football discussion I don't, I don't know if there's a, a case to be made that USC is the best but it has the ingredients of course to be um a top five program right. top five job uh there, there's so much going for it and uh yeah, it just feels like they're not maximizing it, and they haven't been for, you know, what feels like years now. One final point on this: where where do they rank? You know, we don't have to go and you know do a live discussion of of exactly where they pinpoint, but like, are are they how close are they to the top five? Because they're they're certainly not number one. I don't think there's a case for them to be any higher than number four, and even that. I mean, you'd have to build a a very compelling case to convince me that that's the fourth. Yeah, you know, let's put it like most appealing job in the country, because I think the top three are, are really solidified over the last decade, half decade. I mean, is USC still in that, like Oklahoma, uh, you know, I, I got, Georgia could be on the bottom there, Texas A&M, like, are, are they, are they in that tier or would you put USC and, and maybe a job like Texas that in theory is a great job, but really hasn't been all that great of a job for almost 20 years. Like, are, are they still knocking right on the door? I think that there there are like the natural advantages enough to where USC is definitely like top seven and on a given year, it could be absolutely a top five job. Uh, we, we saw the, the golden era that, that they had, you know, 15 years ago or whatever. And, you know, we are past a point where these recruits grew up watching Reggie Bush or anything like that. But um, I still feel like there, there's so much going for it. I would I would say that that SC has an advantage over Texas just because it feels like Texas um, is so they're so gung ho that that they end up hurting themselves as far as like the, their boosters and, and like the the overall like it's there's so much more than what's just on the field at Texas. It feels like that 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 job is less desirable than, than USC. Not that USC isn't high pressure, um, but I think you also have the other natural advantage of being in the Pac-12. You don't have that that lurking giant uh, of a Alabama or an Oklahoma or an Ohio State to, to contend with every year. Like USC theoretically should be that that giant. So um, that and that obviously can help you punch your ticket to the, to the playoff, everything like that. So I think 
Maybe I'm biased uh, in saying that Georgia would, would be the fourth best uh, job. I, I just think the in-state talent in Georgia is is about as good as um, USC's, and and they have less in-state competition school-wise. Uh, they they obviously have you know neighbors like Florida, Florida State, Bama, Auburn that that want to come in and, and get uh, kids out of Georgia. Clemson, of course, got Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence both from this state, but. Um, I still think that Georgia has has kind of like the, the resources in those type of advantages to be slightly better, slightly ahead of USC. But USC, anywhere between five to seven, I, I think would, would make sense. All right, let's go kind of backtrack a little bit to Oregon, Ohio State, <clears throat> which for, for me being out west this past weekend, that was like a 10 a.m. kickoff, just kind of a, a haze. Like, why is this game on the TV right now? <laughs> uh, but a really fun game, really back and forth game. Um, I think if you're an Oregon fan, certainly a more fun game to watch. Uh, you know, the Ducks were in command of this one virtually the entire time. I mean, led 21 to seven after scoring on their first drive in the third quarter. Um, it wasn't exactly a comfortable victory in Ohio state tacked on what was ended up being the last score of the game with about eight minutes left. And, and you kind of thought, okay, Ohio state, you know, they, they've toyed around enough. They're, they're going to come back. They're at least going to tie this thing. Um, yep. And it, it just, it just never happens. You know, they, 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 punt on their next possession. CJ Stroud throws a backbreaking interception that, that ultimately, ends up handing Oregon the game. Ohio State did get, did get the ball back with like 20 seconds left, but uh, was too far away to really make anything happen. It, it was just a really fun game. Like I said, I mean, Ohio State three times gave up the ball on downs, and, and ultimately that was the difference. Yeah, I loved it. It was, it was a lot of fun. And and like you were saying, Oregon's up. They, they got the lead, and it's, it's getting late in the game. And I always get concerned with, with teams in those spots, the, the underdogs that, that have a lead and they don't know what to do with it. Because a lot of the times you'll see those offenses go into a shell and, and you'll see them go three and out right, like right when they can least afford it. Like right when like the, you're about to give Ohio State all the momentum back, maybe they're coming off a score, uh, that sort of thing, or that they got a chance to, to come back and take the lead and you, you go ahead and, and go three and out. Your offense just kind of, you get away from what got you uh, that lead in the first place, but it felt like Oregon, they, they turtled a little bit, but not to the point where it ended up ca- uh, catching up with them in any meaningful way. So um, they were still able to run the, run the absolute hell out of the ball against Ohio state. And, you know, date, going back to week one, Mo Ibrahim was running all over them as well until he got hurt. So you do have to wonder, is this an Ohio state defense that, that has taken a step back this year in addition to, you know, I, I just think that Stroud is fine, but he's not Justin Fields. Um, I'm not even yeah, sure he's Dwayne yeah. Haskins. So he, he's a lot closer to Haskins than Fields. Like he just he just like looks more like Haskins out there, like the, the way that he plays. Yeah. So I, I think that this is a, a an Ohio State team that, you know, I would I would still have them favored in, in every game the rest of the way. And I still think they are the the favorites to to win the Big Ten East. And I do wonder if they continue to look a little bit sluggish on offense, you know, how soon do they kind of press play on on Quinn Ewers? That's going to be kind of a looming storyline, especially if Stroud struggles again, anything like that. I think we're going to start to hear that uh, get drummed up just because Ewers is such a big deal and him getting him onto campus now is, was such a huge deal. So yeah, this is a, a sobering loss for Ohio state. I mean, two touchdown favorites at home, no Kayvon Thibodeau, no, no Justin Flo on Oregon side. All the credit in the world to Oregon, of course. Um, I think that they, they went in there, they went into the you know the belly of the beast, and they, they got it done. So uh, that's no easy task going into into the um, 
into the horseshoe like that, um, especially and then playing like a 10 o'clock uh, body clock time. That's absolutely wild that they were able to pull it off the way that they did. And, uh, you know, more power to them. I think if you tell Oregon, hey, uh, CJ Stroud's going to throw for 484 yards on 35 completions, they're, they're going to have three players with at least 115 receiving yards. You'd be like, oh, no, we we have lost this game. <laughs> what happened? 57 to 12. Uh, that was not the case at all. And this is an, an absurd stat. And I, I don't know if there's a way to even look this up. I would I would hazard a guess that this has not happened any time recently at any level in college football. Oregon had 11 players catch a pass of at least 10 yards in this game. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it, crazy. it goes to show, um, yeah, how deep they are um, at, at, at those pass catcher spots. And, um, yeah, they, they really don't. That's been like a frustrating thing from a fantasy perspective is they haven't had like that guy in what feels like a while. So it's always, you know, you're kind of playing whack-a-mole as far as attacking that Oregon group of pass catchers for, for DFS or anything like that, because it, it literally could be anybody. And sometimes it's it's all of them. Right, right. Very true. As, as we talk, I'm going to try to look up a list of like Oregon receivers in the NFL, because for as great as those offenses have been, it's really been the you know, it's, it's been the running quarterback, it's been DeAnthony Thomas types, and it's been the small kind of scat backs that have carried it. You know, they haven't they haven't had a ton of big time, you know, guys who you project to be receivers at the next level. Uh, we mentioned Alabama rolling over Western Carolina. Not a whole lot to say there. Uh, A&M struggled a little bit to beat Colorado uh, playing with a, a backup a quarterback. Bit. Yeah, well, playing with a backup quarterback for, for virtually the entire game. But still, this is not a, uh, you know, this is not Cordell Stewart, Colorado here. That's true. Um, but but I think what, what we talked about a little bit last week, Colorado, like going up to altitude in September can be tricky. It can be a lot trickier than you think. Um, so I'm, I'm a little bit worried about if I'm Minnesota for, for this weekend, for instance, go, going down there. I think that, you know, now people won't be so surprised if, if another team goes into Colorado and struggles. But um, it was shocking, nonetheless, um, for, for a team as highly ranked as A&M to, to – you know, really need some some last minute heroics uh, to get it done against a Colorado team that's bottom three, probably in the Pac-12. And maybe I'm being generous there. Um, the Zach Calzada thing, you know, Haynes King gets hurt, but Calzada, um, he was in the running for that job for a while. So he should have been able to pick things up a little bit better, I thought. Maybe I'm being too harsh on him, but um, either way, it, it was pretty surprising. A, a team that that a lot of people, myself included, had had kind of painted as a dark horse um, for, for this season to, to, you know, crash the playoff party and finally mix things up among that top four. And for them to look that shaky against a, a not good Colorado team, even with the conditions, very strange. Yeah, we, we've had a few of those strange results early on. And this week, that was kind of a theme was that there weren't a, a ton of actual upsets, but there were several near upsets. Uh, we saw another one with, with Notre Dame struggling to take down Toledo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we we did get one of the best gifts of the season. Uh, I think that this one will, will stand the test of time with Jack Cohn getting his finger, uh, <laughs> uh, his dislocated finger jammed back into place, and then going oh, out okay. and throwing the game-winning touchdown. So, shouts out to that. But but yeah, it was, you know, that I tweeted out during it. If if Notre Dame uh, blows it against a, a bad team and no one's able to watch it, are people still going to drag them on the internet? And the answer is still emphatically yes, even though no one could physically watch that game because it was on Peacock. I, I did not realize that. I, no, I would it was, like to it was see, so ridiculous. 
Yeah. I would like to see a like in the locker room, like what did Brian Kelly have to say to the team after this one? Like if, if, if what we know what he had to say a week ago, what did he have to say after this one? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I mean, and then then you 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 take the the transit of losses and wins, and you you know you you struggle that bad against Florida State, who lost to Jacksonville State. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hmm. Where do you stand on the on-field proposal? By the way. Uh, after the loss, after a crushing yeah. loss to Jacksonville State, um, we we got to we got to run through the facts because I've seen I've seen arguments for both sides. I forget who it was. Some like Twitter celebrity person like swooped in and was like, "I, I support this guy. You know, it's one of the best moments of his life. He's not going to remember this loss in twenty years." Like, yes, dog, he will. Dog, That's ridiculous. Dog, you proposed on the field after you lost to Jacksonville State. Like, you could see the other team celebrating in the background. Everyone around you is sad. Like, I don't care. I don't care if, if your you know, fiance had to fly in, if you flew her family in, like you just got to call it off at that point or, or do it the next day or do it. You know, once you get home, like you, you can't, you can't do it on the field after a loss. You just cannot. It's, it, it, it is not just a loss. It's a loss like that. Like that, that is easily one of the worst losses in Florida state program history, if not the worst. Right. I mean, unbelievable. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, the logistics, I mean, we're a couple of guys who are not married uh, yet or, or anything like that. But um, I, I got to think that, you know, that there is logistics in play for, for that type of thing where you, you bring in uh, members of both sides of the family, you get them to the game, you pencil this game in because it's, it's, you know, early in the season. So it's no nice out. Um, no way you lose this game to, to Jacksonville state. And then you, then the impossible. So like, I don't know how you pull the plug, but then again, at the same time, you you just lost to Jacksonville State, man. They are like dancing on the midfield logo, like as you get down on a knee. Like mm-hmm. you gotta find some. So, like I think everyone would have understood in hindsight uh, if if he pivoted and and you know did it in a more private moment or right. or waited a day or something like that. So, I mean, I assume in his mind, he's like, all right, we win the game. I do the proposal. It's like an Ian Johnson moment. Everybody goes mm-hmm. crazy. The fans are going nuts. I, you know, my teammates are swarming me. Like, what is the scene when he walks back into the locker room? Like, fellas, she said yes. Is everybody's like, shut the hell up. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> get lost. What are you doing here? It'd be hard to be like, oh, cool, man. Like, it'd be hard to get really fired up for, for you know, this guy's probably pals with everybody on the team, but. Uh, yeah, just uh, tough timing. I was surprised it was so divided. Like the initial wave was like, this guy's an idiot. And then all yeah. the defenders came in. I'm like, no, no, no. The I think the initial judgment was correct here. Uh, let's go. Let's finish out with Iowa, Iowa State before we look ahead to, uh, you know, I don't want to undersell, but a relatively underwhelming week three. I, I had Iowa State in this game. I believe you sided with Iowa. Yep. Uh, so I'll let you lead off. You you were correct as to how this one played out. Man, I, I think just, I mean, this is six years in a row now, I, I think, of um, Iowa defeating Iowa State in in this rivalry game. They did, I looked at the Winsipedia be- between these two, and I, I had forgotten that there was like a 50-year gap uh, in, in time when they didn't play. So it's awesome that this is, is rolling. And, and this game also provided a tremendous game day moment, college game day. So they had Ashton Kutcher, Iowa native, uh on as like the celebrity guest picker and people were like yelling at him to take a shower because it like came out in the news that he's just not a shower guy um for whatever reason um so i thought that was very very funny but uh when it comes to the game itself um iowa state totally outgained iowa but it in in a way where you would just kind of think like oh that's almost a problem in a way like iowa 
Iowa had a very strategic 173 yards or whatever it was from scrimmage, whereas Iowa State, you know, scrambled to get their 300 plus. And, you know, of course, it, it really came down to turnovers. And I was one that forced them and made the most of, of that turnover luck. Um, you don't really expect that to be something that they can sustain over the course of the entire season. But that definitely told the story of, of this particular Cyhawk game. So, um, yeah, uh, Iowa looks like they are probably the bit best team in the, uh, in the Big Ten West. How surprised were you that Brock Purdy got benched in this game? I mean, it, it was you know, well into the second half, but – the game, I don't think, was like 100% over at that point. Yeah, that that is that was a bit of a surprise. I mean, it, it was just a long, tough day uh, for him. So, I, I guess Iowa State was was looking for anything that was going to shake things up uh, at least a little bit. That's really the only rationale that that I could have behind it. But yeah, it was just a you know on a day very similar. You know, I think Iowa State and A and M both have those similar. Um, that that next tier down uh, title contenders or playoff contenders this year. And, and, you know, it's already over for them for Iowa state. Yeah. Heisman race probably over for Brees Hall as well. Unfortunately, yeah, two really bad games out of the gate for him. Yeah. I mean, and one of these, you know, you can, you can get away. Well, for one, for him to, for him to win the Heisman, Iowa state probably had to run the table. So losing this game, you know, in another way kind of knocked him out, but it would have been forgivable. Like if he, if he had an average game, let's say he ran for 75 yards and a touchdown and Iowa state wins this game. That's fine. Like, I, I don't think that knocks him out, but to have a terrible week one against an inferior opponent and then roll it over and have a terrible week two in a game that you have to win. I mean, it's, it's a hundred percent over at this point, unless we see yeah. like an unprecedented statistical output over the next 12 weeks. Yeah. I, I don't think we have much reason to believe that, that he will. Uh, I think he can be very, very good the rest of the season, but, but Heisman Heisman dreams are long dash now. Yep. Yep. All right. So week three, we got a, a few decent matchups. Uh, I think Cincinnati at Indiana, a little juicier than maybe it looks on the surface. Uh, that's eighth ranked Cincinnati unranked Indiana, but the spread only Cincinnati by four uh, that one they're on the road. We get Alabama and Florida. We get Arizona state, and BYU, uh, and then Auburn and Penn State, uh, the the featured game on ABC Saturday night. That's a six thirty Central Time kickoff. Penn State six point favorites at home against Auburn. Yeah, so we yeah we got some good ones to choose from uh, this weekend. I, I I think that Cincinnati is that they were really really sluggish against Murray State last week, which is obviously shocking. That I think that that you shouldn't if you're Cincinnati you shouldn't feel comfortable doing the look ahead, even if you are, uh, you know, playing against an FCS team. But I, I think that they're going to be locked in, ready to roll this week in Indiana. I think they're going to get that feather in their cap, get a power five win. Um, they, they obviously have that big game against Notre Dame later in the season that that will kind of dictate whether they're, they're playoff viable, but this is kind of a prerequisite for that. They have to go in there. They have to win. And I think they will. Uh, there's a reason why they're, they're road favorites. I think Indiana, not as good as they were a year ago. I think last year was kind of Indiana's chance. And, you know, with Penix uh, hurting his his knee last year, that that really sucked. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that this is this is a Cincinnati team that, that really is starting to make some serious noise. And I, I like them to go on the road and get this one done. Auburn-Penn State is a game that I cannot figure out for the life of me. I don't think there's anything that we can really truly glean uh, from those first two weeks when it comes to Auburn because they played um, – I forget who they played in the, in the season. Akron? Yeah, Akron. And then they had Alabama State, 
last week. So two non-serious games, whereas Penn State went into the belly of the beast up in Madison and, and, and got the job done. And then they took care of business a week ago against a good Ball State team, mind you. Uh, they really kind of just took, you know, took them apart for the most part. We don't really know what, what the what the whiteout crowd noise factor is going to be like for Auburn. Uh, that's a long trip for, for Auburn. I don't, I don't remember them playing this far north like ever. Um, I'm sure yeah. there's a stat as far as the, the last time that they went uh, above the Mason-Dixon line. So that's a fascinating game. I really don't know wh- which way to, to lean with that one or, or how to bet it. Um, I would kind of be inclined to, to think it's going to be a little bit closer than six points just because I think Auburn does have some talent. But, um, yeah, that, that's going to be one that, that um, you know, it, it deserves to be the, the marquee matchup this weekend. That's fine. Give me a quick thoughts on Florida and Alabama, uh, which is a 14-and-a-half-point spread in favor of the Alabama Crimson Tide. <laughs> that's on the road at the Swamp uh, against an 11th-ranked Florida team, which speaks to just where Alabama is at this point. I know, and and like a, a, a potentially pretty good Florida team. I mean, they, right. they haven't really played anybody either, but it at, this all comes down to uh, Anthony Richardson and the, the health of his hamstring because if he's 100% and he gets turned loose, like this could be a college football like landscape-changing game. Uh, yeah. I, Richardson is just chaos. I mean, I, I tweeted out his box score last week, 50 yards per pass attempt, three for three for like 150 and three touchdowns or something like that. And then like almost 30 yards per rushing attempt. Like the guy is just, I don't know what, like where this guy came from. I don't know why Florida's even bothering with Emory Jones at this point. Emory Jones mm-hmm. does not, I mean, he, I think he threw for about the same amount of yards on like 30 more pass attempts. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, the, the kind of stuff that Richardson seems to be gifted with physically. So um that's that could be a problem for Alabama. I, I do expect Alabama to take care of business here, but I, I I would say, even though this is a great Alabama team, it it could be one of their best ones. This is in the swamp. This is the first hostile environment for for Bryce Young. I say Bama wins by like ten. I think that's fair. I I'll I'll take Bama to cover that. Honestly, I, I think the confusion that quarterback is is going to be probably the dominant narrative for Florida coming out of this game of like why did we not just commit. To, to you know Richardson I, I feel like every time they and it work, it seems to work maybe more in college than the NFL but the two quarterback system like always causes some drama usually unnecessary drama and, yep. and it rarely works like to a per, you know especially the way they're splitting it it's not like it's just a you know a, a small package for Justin Fields or Trey Lance you know it's somewhat of like a 50-50 type of split and I, I don't really love that I think it just creates kind of you know dissension within your team um, yeah. and that's the last thing you need going into an Alabama game all right, dude, we got, we got about 10 more minutes. So quick overview of the DFS slate for this week. Okay, so let, let's get into it. We got a 12-gamer. Um, the, the the teams with the highest implied totals for this week, this is the main slate on DraftKings, of course. Uh, Ohio State, 43, the highest, going up against Tulsa at home. Oklahoma, 42, playing against Nebraska. Clemson, 40.5 against Georgia Tech. Bama, 37.5, and Coastal, 36 are your, are your top – uh, offenses as far as implied totals for this week is concerned. I like this week because I think you can go premier quarterback, cheap running back. I think that, that that's the way that I'm reading this slate, at least off the bat. Um, I, I imagine that that's going to be a relatively chalky approach. So in, in tournaments, you might want to go counter to that. Um, but I, I think that 
targeting one of Stroud, uh, Rattler, or Bryce Young is going to be the, the the way to to kind of lead things off. I think you can roster two of those three. Um, if I'm doing that, I'm probably going both Stroud and Rattler. Uh, this, so that obviously is going to constrict what you can do with some of the rest of your lineups because that's uh, 19500 of your $50,000 salary cap tied up into two guys. But I still think that, that that's the way to do it, going expensive at quarterback this week. But if you wanted to drop down a little bit, um, I would be a little bit interested in Sam Hartman. Um, I think that he's someone that, that's going to be throwing a decent amount of passes. This is Wake Forest quarterback. He checks in at 7800 going up against Florida State. They're at home. Um, he's been a really efficient passer to, to start the season. They obviously haven't had a particularly you know impressive uh, win just yet, or haven't really played anyone impressive uh, just yet. But I, I still think that you know this is a Florida State secondary that that can clearly uh, be had. So I, I like the idea of going after a guy like Sam Hartman. He he's definitely if I'm dropping down a level or two, um, he's the guy that I'm targeting. But I don't know how much further down. I would necessarily go like Braxton Burmeester, I think is like a, an intriguing talent, but going on the road to West Virginia, I just don't think that Virginia tech is the type of team that, that endeavors to, to hang 40 points. And I don't think that they even could in this particular context. Um, you know, you look at Mackenzie Milton on the other side of, of the Wake Forest, Florida state game, he is going to be the starter, but I don't know if you can really feel great about uh, rolling him out there. Um, it, with one of your roster spots necessarily. And I would also be interested um, in Desmond Ritter as well. You're getting a decent uh, salary on him at 8,600 and Coastal Carolina's Grayson McCall, 8,300. Um, another guy to consider because he's got that mobility and Buffalo really, really bad against the pass so far this year. So McCall should be able to take advantage of that um, as well. All right. You said go cheap at the running back position. Uh, yes. It should be a problem. You don't, you don't have a ton of super high price guys uh, again this week, we Trayson Potts at Minnesota leading off at 7,300. Um, but yeah, a lot of parity, I guess, when you start to look at these prices, not a lot of separation between each guy. No, exactly. Yeah, we, we don't have that that true stud running back on, on this main slate um, this week. Uh, you know, you got Reese White right up there near near the top, the, the Coastal Carolina running back. I would probably not go his way necessarily, um, you know, Kyron Williams has done well so far this year going up against Purdue. That is kind of intriguing. I, I just don't think that Purdue has a particularly strong uh, run defense. So that as I'm going to consider Notre Dame doesn't have a particularly strong run defense either, but I don't think that Purdue, especially with Xander Horvath um, banged up is going to be able to take advantage necessarily. So where I'm looking at running back is under 6,000 Jared Broussard, 5,700 of Colorado. Um, I think that, Again, the elements are going to be in Colorado's factor or favor this week. Um, so I like Colorado's run game, kind of gassing uh, Minnesota. And then uh, Will Shipley, 5,300, the five-star freshman for Clemson. He might be my favorite play, period, this week. Um, 5,300. Um, going up against Georgia Tech, Lynn J. Dixon has basically played himself maybe off the team at this point. It, him and Dabo just don't seem to jive whatsoever. Um, so it seems like it's Shipley's job right now. Kobe Pace is in the mix too, but Shipley catch passes, uh, dangerous as a runner, really, really like him as well. And uh, I think this might be, now might be the time to, to pounce on Eric Gray. I think people were a little bit too presumptuous in thinking that, that Gray was just going to come in and be the, the workhorse over Kennedy Brooks coming into this year. Gray, of course, the trans transfer um, from Tennessee. <sighs> 
So he hasn't, I mean, he's been good, but he hasn't delivered quite the way that the people were expecting. But I think now that he's down to 5,200, Oklahoma might run the ball a little bit more this week. I like Gray 5,200 going up against, um, against this particular, um, this particular Nebraska team, of course, just because Nebraska, we, we pretty much have a pretty good idea of of what they're about at this point. And then as far as the, the, the pass catchers are concerned, um, even though I'm not completely loading up on on this Purdue offense, even uh, despite the uh, problems that that this Notre Dame defense has shown thus far, I think David Bell at 7,700 is still an awesome play. Um, I think you look a little bit further down the board if you want some more Oklahoma exposure. I think Mario Williams continues to be automatic, and I don't think that the salary has necessarily caught up to him just yet. I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is the, the Marvin Mims week. I could see a lot this week being that one where guys that got off to slow starts through the first two weeks of the season kind of go out there and remind you why they were so highly rated um, coming into the year. So um, that, that's the way I'm leading as far as uh, that the pass catchers are concerned. Um, oh, and I also like um, Gary Bryant uh, of USC, Drake London, a little bit banged up. Maybe USC comes out a little bit fired up, uh, you know, having Having had the coaching change, they, they want to get things off on the right foot under this interim coach. So I could see that uh, being a thing as well. So so that's kind of my view on the, on the DFS slate. Obviously, my, my article will be dropping on Friday with the full review um, of, the, of this particular main slate. I like this main slate a lot more than I did um, last week. So I'm really diving into it. So that, that's going to be a good one. And then as far as uh, my bets for this week, I like Maryland, seven and a half point favorites against Illinois at home. I like Cincy on the road, minus four at Indiana. I like Michigan State, plus five and a half against Miami. It wouldn't shock me if they won that game. I, I'm just fading Miami till the cows come home. Keep saying it, and I'm going to keep doing it. They almost lost to, to my to my beautiful App State uh, Mountaineers a week ago. Um, I like Washington State, plus eight and a half against USC. I know it's a little bit counter to what I was just talking about, but um, I, I just think that, that that's too many points to trust with, with this USC team right now. And give me SMU minus 12 and a half against Louisiana Tech. SMU on the road, double-digit favorites. So that, that's a little bit scary, but I, I think that SMU's offense is just as legit as it's been in recent years. So I, I still think that, that those ponies will be able to do it, e- even against uh, Louisiana Tech on the road. I'm still not sold on Michigan State. Maybe, maybe it's just my personal bias, but I, I cannot buy in. On Michigan State, I'll, I'll take Miami minus six and a half. Uh, I'll take Oklahoma uh, minus twenty-two against Nebraska. I, I think Nebraska really has it coming here. Uh, I feel the same way about that team. I think as you do, and, and like I said before, yep. Alabama uh, minus fourteen and a half at Florida. They're they're just as automatic as it gets in games like this. It feels like, and and maybe once a year they get tested, but I, I don't think this is the week. Uh, well, end on this, John. I, I said earlier I would look up the Oregon receivers drafted in the NFL. They've only had one receiver drafted higher than the fourth round since 2000. Josh Huff in 2014, 86th overall pick uh, in the third round. So uh, not a lot of receiving talent, as we suspected, coming out of Eugene. No, there's really not. Uh, back in my in my younger days, I remember Raven Patrick Johnson, uh, famous course. for his speed, but uh, he could not catch a cold. Yeah, in 06, the Ravens took Demetrius Williams out of Oregon. As oh, well yeah, as I remember him. I, I always thought he had some promise. I, I obviously was worse at scouting then than I am now. I'm not good at it now, but, God, I was bad back then. <laughs> Same here. I was just like, sort by speed. Like, Trinden Holiday is going to be the best player. Who's the, the coolest? Yeah. <laughs> 
All right, man, you got to hop on a radio call. Uh, I got NBA things to take care of. Uh, Busy week in college football ahead of us, but looking forward to it as always.